We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this edition of Hand Raised Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air. I'm Chase Farman. Down the show, joined by Walker Jones, the head of the Grove Collective for Ole Miss. We're going to talk a good bit about uh, where the collective stands right now, where collectives in general stand right now, what's going on with Ole Miss, how they sort revenue to different sports, what's going on with the different sports. A lot of stuff with Walker here as uh, June is running out, July before you know it the fourth, and then back into another academic and athletic year. So a lot going on right now. We'll talk to Walker about all those things. Really appreciate his time today. Before we do that, let me tell you about Comer and Southern. They've got different names, but they offer the same people, the same great products, and tons of places for that. Oxford, Batesville, Tupelo, surrounding area, you call Comer, 662-801-1777. You live in Hernando, Memphis, or the greater DeSoto County, Southern 662-429-4429. This will be the Oxford Exxon podcast on Friday. You know about that, the Oxford Exxon on Highway 6 West. Everything from ribs, lunch specials, and much more. They also have the uh, the donuts in Brookhaven and Clinton. So if you're in those two locations, let them help you with uh, breakfast, whatever day that is. Again, they can take care of dinner and take care of all your uh, convenience store needs and much more with Oxford Exxon and all Blue Sky locations up and down I-55 and throughout North Mississippi as well. We're coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900. Corey wants to be your car guy, wants to be your truck guy, and he will help you out. Let Corey help you no matter where you are in the car buying process. Corey will get you there. He'll, he'll help you through wherever you are, and maybe you'll just purchase a vehicle from him, help you and him at the same time. Also, Walker and all guests join the My Perfect Franchise hotline. If you're a displaced corporate executive and to put your career in your own hands or you're an experienced entrepreneur wanting the diversity, Andy Ludicky can help. Andy owns multiple franchises and businesses, uses his expertise to help others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. Call Andy, put your life career in his hands 100% free. What do you have to lose? Find your perfect franchise at myperfectfranchise.net. Or contact Andy at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. So again, a great interview coming up with Walker Jones. We'll go to him now for this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. And Hain Ray's guys brought to you by Comer Heating and Air and Southern Heating and Air. So here's Walker Jones. 
Walker Jones now joining us on the My Perfect Franchise Hotline. Walker, thanks for the time this morning. You know, you uh, we've talked several times. You got a lot going on. Summer is not a uh, summer for you. No vacations. One of the biggest times to kind of keep things moving toward uh, football season. I'm just curious. You've been at this a while. When this got going, they first approached you. I know it's far different than than you probably thought it was that first day, but. Just how different, and did you ever think that NIL and everything going on was ever going to stick to the actual layer of the rule as it was first presented? You know, uh, that's a good question, and I think the way I would answer that is, I, you know, we're learning so much daily, weekly, monthly in this. You know, I I didn't, you know, back, we're almost coming up on a year now when I kind of got uh, pulled back in and, and jumped into this thing. So I think it was really, you know, end of August, September is when I really kind of got fully ingrained uh, and integrated in this thing. So, you know, as we look back on the last, you know, you know, 11, 12 months, I would say that um, it, the volume has certainly re- increased, you know, consistently. Uh, we have some ebbs and flows in there generally around the portal times, you know, uh, in between semesters, um, we were, we've been really busy in May and June of this year with kids coming in. Um, and so I think those obviously you have your peak times of, of, of high volume, but even in the down times, there's always maintenance that needs to be getting done. And, and I think what we've, what we've tried to learn, uh, Chase is like, okay, um, here is an opportunity for us to focus on fundraising for the next month. And here's an opportunity to focus on um, the nature of our contracts and the legal side of things. And then, you know, this next couple of weeks, I want to focus on, um, uh, you know, player engagement and player interaction with our fans and our community. Like, and so really it's, but it's been one of those things where, and it's been unlike any other business I've ever been in where you play out a, you know, 30, 60, 90 day strategy or plan of action. And really, once you get to like 60, 90, some of those are really kind of shots in the dark and guesses about what we should or shouldn't be working on or what's going to be dictated or asked of us from the marketplace. And I think, uh, and, I, and I'm probably not alone in that with most of the collectives. You know, we talk to a lot of the collectives now. We're all dealing with a lot of the same challenges or, you know, lack of, of uh, foresight as far as what is coming down the pipe. So, uh, I think that's probably really the, the the best way I would frame it is it's been a constant um, um, escalation in in maintenance volume um, to do tasks and things of that nature. But we've gotten pretty good at knowing when we're going to get hit with what in terms of contracting with new players um, or returning players. And then in the downtimes from that, really trying to stay busy on all those maintenance items that we need to be doing uh, to keep the engine running. How much is the price of player, for lack of a better word, acquisition and retention gone up in just one year as NIL and all this stuff is so new? Yeah, I think, um, Neil, I would answer that in sport by sport. It's a little different. Um, I think it's it's categorized. Uh, football um, has has increased, but but not to the level that men's basketball has. Okay. Um, so you know, I think football has had a little somewhat of a reset. Um, I think part of that is players are realizing that maybe the portal the portal can be a lonely place. 
um, and you can get left. And I think coaches in most schools, including ours, have told our athletes, hey, you officially go on that portal, you better go find a home because we're going to move on. And so, therefore, that takes a little of that free agency uh, leverage out of play in football because I think um, coaching staffs, collectives have figured out kind of how to manage that better, uh, which I think has kind of held values. They've increased a little bit, but but nothing like uh, the escalation that we've seen in men's basketball. Men's basketball, I was really shocked. Uh, now, I think part of that on our is a coaching change. Um, I think there's a huge percentage of increase tied to making a staff change. Uh, and we are obviously dealing with that. So I think the nature of men's basketball added with the fact that we made a, a head coaching change there has really escalated, inflated those values uh, because we're really having to rebuild a roster, uh, a culture and work with the, the coaching staff. Um, you know, the team that we see on the floor this fall for Ole Miss and Chris Beard is going to look drastically different uh, than what we saw um you know last year which is you know probably a good thing but um uh and then i think the other one is baseball um uh, baseball um is has escalated again i think that part of that's attributed to us not having a great year um we had a high coming off the the college world series last year uh values were were fairly stable i think um this year, coming off a, a, a down year, as we all know, um, I've seen a pretty big increase in baseball as well. So I think bat, men's basketball and baseball kind of are at the top of the list when it comes to uh, escalated or inflated values. I think the mo for the most part, the other ones have stayed fairly stable with a modest increase. You were in Washington. Go ahead, no. Go ahead. You were in Washington fairly recently. Um I know you were quoted. You were one of the handful, very small handful of collectives that were sort of invited to come up there and, and represent, which was a really good sign for uh, where you guys are. But I was curious after all of those meetings and, uh, you know, walking around the Hill, did you walk away feeling like Congress is going to help you? Or did you walk away going, you know what, they're at the end of the day, they're just not going to do this. We're going to have to figure out how to fix this on our own or, or manage this maybe is the better word on our own. I think the latter, you know, I think we all went up there with uh, hope that, you know, there would be this pathway forward for some immediate. And when I say immediate next, you know, several months of, of intervention um, on behalf of Congress. And I think I speak for myself and the others that were there that we left with that. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, that was probably um, a little naive on our part. I think, as we all know, Congress is dealing with so many issues and we've got an election year coming up next year, um, which further complicates things in their world. I think they understand that they could probably help the cause in some areas. I think where they are struggling is how granular do they get? You know, how broad, you know, Congress does not need to get down all these different rabbit holes and they don't want to. And so I think they've they've struggled a little bit on, you know, what hill to down, uh, what 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 uh, part of this marketplace or this nil landscape do they do they really try to focus on? And the hard part about that is you have all these varying opinions on, you know, employment status, Title IX, antitrust, uh, rev shares, um, you know, all those things that 
kind of lead to federal intervention. I mean, you, you know, when you start talking about Title IX and antitrust issues and employment status, Fair Labor and Standards Act and all that kind of stuff, those are federal issues. And, you know, I think that, that you know, with just so much that is going on up there, I just think it's going to take way too long to get some immediate help from them. Uh, that's just the reality of how that works up there. Um and so, you know, if you're the NCAA, the problem is if you're the NCAA, you, that's really their only play. The NCAA's really only way to get any teeth back into what they're trying to do is have federal intervention and, you know, um, and federal preemption of all these state statutes, you know. So, but if you talk to the Republicans, they're all for federal preemption on state law. But if you talk to the Democrats, they don't want any part to do with federal preemption. You know, they want the state. So you you, you just then you're going to get into that political dynamic of you know the two sides of the aisle, um, and if you talk to the you know Senate, Tommy Tuberville, my former coach, and some of those other guy other senators who have expressed interest here, they want something to come out of the House first that they can then latch on to and try to get sixty senators to buy into that. Um, but the problem is there's four or five different house thoughts about who and what it should happen and how deep do you go? So I say all that, Neil, to tell you, I think we're back to trying to figure this out on our own. And I would really say that in my opinion, getting on that plane and flying home uh, from DC, the, the one thought I had is the power five commissioners, the power five commissioners, in my opinion, are going to be the ones to have to try to push this. And if they can somehow find common ground with each other, then maybe Congress becomes a little bit easier um, and they can use Congress in those pocketed areas to help out. But I really think it's the power five conferences now that have to take the conversation over. And it's kind of a power two and then a lesser powerful three, isn't it? And so they don't, they don't all really see things eye to eye because everyone's, you know, this, everyone's trying, you played, everyone's trying to win. Everyone's yeah. trying to be super competitive and make a bunch of money and all that stuff. And so Ohio state and Texas view things completely differently. I mean, I just pulled two examples out of thin yeah. air, uh, yeah. completely differently than say, you know, wake forest and, and, and Cal do. Yeah. Well, and also, and look, there, there needs to be some differences there uh, because then if, if they all got together, then you'd run into another antitrust issue of collusion and suppressing market values. And then the players get mm -hmm. upset. So I think, that, I think they have to be careful about that. And maybe that's not such a bad thing, but I do think some basic framework um, for, for the carrot and the stick a little bit, the stick's not going to work, you know, threatening people with this and that we just have seen basically the NCA, anytime they try to go in and enforce anything, they get threatened to get sued and they back off. And yeah. you've got, you know, Ross Bjork coming out yesterday saying, we're going to follow our state law. I don't care what the NCA says and state law preempts NCA mandates, you know? And so, um, so the stick's not working, but if you could come up with a carrot type approach where uh, let's use the SEC, for example, and they say, you know what, we're going to shave off 10% of this revenue from TV contracts and corporate sponsorships and these types of things. And we're going to offer that up to our member schools, okay? And they're going to use that to fund their NIL. Now, they can still raise money for NIL on top of that, but we're going to give them all X percentage of their revenue for NIL. So Ole Miss is going to get this, Georgia will get that, Vanderbilt will get this. And that does a couple of things. It takes the stress off the donor. Uh, at these schools, because 95% of the money coming into collectives is donor funded. So now you 
you kind of answer the donor fatigue problem and give yourself a good start. And then you can, you know, use it. And then the competitive advantage is how well is your collective at using that money and still raising additional money. So there still is a competitive uh, dynamic to it, but you at least solve for some of the donor fatigue. But more importantly, you tell everybody, you take that money, you now have to agree to be governed and regulated by this group. And your state statute needs to fall somewhere in this, you know, range. Otherwise, you're on your own. Um, I know that's really simplistic and there's a lot of issues you have to work with, um, especially like in a state like South Carolina or Florida, where you have an ACC school in there and an SEC school and, you know, state law, you know, so there, there's some issues you have to work through in there. But I, you know, I just really think if, if trying to come up and, and we all know, too, there's a rev share coming. There's going to be a rev share at some point down the road. So why not try to get out ahead of it? instead of be fairly mandated to do it and try to so get out say, of that. So when you say that, you mean a rev share from the TV rights and, and such when the new deals are struck? Yeah. I just, I mean, that that's where this is headed. Um, and, you know, uh, <clears throat> I think the, the people see and hear of all this money coming in there and, and, you know, you're going to have donors continue saying, look, why am I bearing the brunt of all of this? you know, all these conferences and everybody, ESPN and all these other groups are making all these hundreds of millions of dollars. They should be bearing a lot of the brunt of this, you know? And so I just think that that's where, I think that's where we're headed. Again, there's a lot of different ways of how that can work. The Florida, I mean, the California state law is really scary from a ref share standpoint. If that were to happen, that percentage is so high that it, that would have a real damaging effect on Title IX, School is going to have to cut a lot of programming. A lot of athletes are going to get left behind. Um, so we got to be careful about how far we go down that road. But I think it's to some degree, there's going to be some sort of rev share. Not to put words in your mouth, but I've heard this from other people at other schools too. The The current model feels like it's, it's so donor driven. Mm -hmm. Like you're just hitting up the same people over and over and over. And, at some point, you know, we always use the, I, I'll use the same example we always use for consistency, right? Kentucky and South Carolina are going to play a football game and someone's going to lose. You know, I mean, they're, they're not both going to win. And, and as losses pile up and anywhere, pick your school, you know, Arkansas, Missouri, whatever, they, they lose games. The fans go, all right, you're asking me for money. You're telling me I got to help pay for the players. I'm doing it. We're not doing any better than we normally do. Why am I doing this? And that that feels like that particular model is sort of unsustainable. And I'm not picking on South Carolina or Kentucky or whoever, but 14 SEC teams are going to play, and not everybody's going to have a great year. I worry about it for Ole Miss. I mean, it, it is what keeps me up at night in this area because, again, I think our fans in this first year have given generously. They have trusted us. They have supported of us. They've done everything they have to. They've given us an ability to compete at a really high level and punch way above our weight. But to your point, what I worry about is if we're not super competitive across the board, you know, to your point, they're going to say, you know, we're kind of where we were before all this came out. Am I still going to keep doing And, oh, by the way, the university keeps calling me for my ticket donation, capital campaigns, you know, the law school, the business school. So I am very sensitive to the donor fatigue issue, and I think it, it's real. Um, I've made a bunch of comments about that, that, you know, sustainability needs to be at the top of, uh, of the pecking order when it comes to issues we need to talk, you know, the transfer portal and all these other things we have to talk about. But, you know, student athletes should be really vocal about sustainability because it's very important to them. And 
the current model as, as, as it exists today is not sustainable for, for the large majority of people. Um, and, you know, like you look at us this year, you know, we were 7-0 and when we launched this thing last year. And top 10 in the country, man, everybody was fired up. I'm in. You lose four of your last five. You um, have a down year in basketball. You have a down year in baseball. And, you know, all of a sudden, everybody's going, okay, this coming year better be really successful because you're kind of paying forward. You know, you're kind of paying forward. There's kind of a 12-month cycle to you give money today. You probably won't see that manifest itself until the following year. Uh, when you could get kids on campus and get them in the system and all that. So this year is really important for us to be competitive. Um, or we're going to have that issue that you just outlined. Now, what I tried to do was start this subscription model and try to get, you know, thousands of homeless people to give us 25, 50, 80 bucks a month, like they would for a Netflix account or Spotify or whatever. And knowing that those are your people, you're kind of ride or die fans. They're going to kind of, they're going to, they're going to go through the waves and the ebbs and flows of wins and losses. And most of the time they're going to stay with you. And that's what we've, and I think we've been able, that's helped us a ton because we were able to raise close to 50% of our goal through that reoccurring revenue model. And that was my thought was let's take the wins and losses out of it. And let's just hit those ride or die fans who are buying tickets, who are coming, who are red and blue, and they can stomach $50 a month, $100 a month, and I can then now project cash flow. And so that model has been really helpful, Neil, to try to counteract what you said, the donor fatigue issue, which is real. But even then, you know, you still have to have major gifts. You still have to have corporate sponsors. Um, there's still another 50% of the revenue we got to go find. So, um, and again, until there is some sort of rev share that takes the pressure off the donor, we're all going to be faced with that. What do you tell the, especially the mid-level donor who has donor fatigue that buys the season tickets, that donates, but has the budget at, you know, 10, 20 grand, whatever that number is, it's bigger than you're talking about, but not your big corporate gifts or what we would consider more wealthy where it's not as big of a deal on a day-to-day level, but they're, you know, they're taking money away from something they would do discretionary with their family. Right. What is what is the message to that group of people? Because frankly, that's a lot of my age group right now. Yeah. We kind of accumulate adulthood. I think it's um, and and because the state statute and the NCA guidance has evolved to some degree, we can be much more intentional about the messaging of NIL. You know, that was really the hard part when I got involved in it last year. Lane kind of couldn't really talk about it publicly, but yet he, behind the scenes, he's telling me it's the only thing that matters. You know, so I'm like, well, we need to be able to tell people that, you know, like and that was like my big thing to Keith and our compliance people were like, look, Y'all kind of talked me into doing this by telling me this was the most important thing in Ole Miss athletics. But I need, you know, me saying that and Lane Kiffin or Chris Beard or Mike Bianco saying that, it's a lot different. So, you know, I think it's messaging, uh, Chase, to, to want you to answer part of that question is we need to be able to message to people how truly important it is to the overall success of the program. Talent acquisition, talent retention, uh, development of the players, the culture, being able to manage the locker room and there is money coming in. I th- and I think that's where we've done a good job. And again, kind of me being a former player and having Lauren Hoselton on our staff, who's a former athlete at Ole Miss, the locker room is really sacred to us. And so we, we work really hard to maintain some culture in the locker room uh, when players are getting different amounts of money and those types of things. So I think it's really the message of, hey, this is really, really important. Our coaches are 100% behind it. 
your money is being spent in a very um, thoughtful and impactful way. Uh, we're considering as many factors as we can to do it. Um, and hopefully within that, and we're, we're going to do some of this coming up here at the end of the summer, we're trying to bring these athletes closer to the fan bases because here's one of the things, and we all know this, you know, when I played, players were there four or five years at a time. You got to know them. You got to know who they were. They became part of the culture. And, well, now these locker rooms look different every year. Players are here maybe one, maybe two years. And so that affinity that the fan base wants to feel with that player is really hard to get because of the nature of the portal and the people coming and going. So one thing that we can try to help solve for is to fix that problem by putting a face to these names and getting them really close to our fan base. We had a crawfish bowl this spring. We're going to have a big donor event here going back to school around a football scrimmage. Uh, we're doing a lot of um, activation with our athletes within the city of Oxford and and trying to, again, uh, we're going to have a couple podcasts coming up here into the summer with, with some of the new athletes. And I know you guys have done it as well, where you've tried to put a face to some of these new players uh, through these media lenses and through the activation that you can do with NIL. So, I think that's probably the message. the 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 answer there, uh, Chase, is is the right messaging coming from the coaches, so our fans know just really how important it is to them. And then, secondly, giving them the ability and creating a bridge for them to create some affinity with these athlete rosters that turn over so quickly. Take a break in the podcast. Tell you about Prime Shrimp. You can get seven different flavors delivered directly to your door. A couple of my favorites: the signature, the New Orleans style barbecue. They're great for salads. They're great for lunches, quick snacks, or even dinner to feed your family. The summer's pretty busy, so let Prime Shrimp take care of you. Again, with all those different flavors, few within ten minutes, freezer to plate, and you get restaurant quality shrimp. They also offer the uh, two pound bags of individually frozen shrimp, a lot like was at the grocery store, except a higher quality shrimp. From the New Orleans-based company, they're also available in Rouse's Markets if you have one of those nearby. But if you need them mailed to you, we can help you out. You buy five pouches or more and use code RG and you get 25% off. That's code RG, 25% off, primeshrimp.com. Summer is here and Heavenly Sunshine Property would like to take the opportunity to remind you about the importance of taking care of your outdoor living spaces. Regular maintenance is key to preserving the beauty and integrity of your home or business, and one of the most effective ways to maintain is through power washing. Some of the key benefits include increased curb appeal, damage prevention, creating a healthier environment. It also saves you time and money. They've been serving the Mid-South and Oxford for over four decades. Their full-service commercial and residential property maintenance includes power washing, soft wash roof cleaning, facade cleaning, and window cleaning. Don't wait until it's too late. Contact Heavenly Sunshine today and get ready to enjoy a brighter, cleaner outdoor living space. HeavenlySunshine.com or 662-342-1203. You get a free estimate. You can book that today. You can use code MPW10 for a 10% discount. Podcast also brought to you by Northeast Spark, N-E-S-P-A-R-C. Service people across rural communities. Two packages, the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze, the one gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio. Your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's NESpark.com, 662-238-3159. Get the best internet in Lafayette County, also parts of Union and Pontotoc counties for those who previously did not have internet. And then last but definitely not least, GNM Pharmacy, 662-236-2222. They're right there on South Lamar and Oxford. They're my pharmacy. They deliver stuff to me every day. They do that for free. Free local delivery with G&M. Take care of all your pharmaceutical needs. They even help you transfer your medications. If you're using one of those big box pharmacies that doesn't care about you, 
Switch to GNM. You make one phone call, they take care of the rest. Done, simple, easy with GNM in Oxford or Tyson Drugs in Holly Springs. Again, that's 662-236-2222. We, we've talked secondarily. Go ahead and you got something new? Or- yeah, it's kind of a follow-up on that because that's interesting. And you, you played. Uh, you were in a locker room. How difficult would it be or, and, and how difficult is it to manage culture in a locker room. Lane talked about this a lot last year. I heard other coaches talk about it. I've heard coaches at programs where they didn't have a great year last year say, you know, looking back, culture was an issue. Yeah. Um, how how do how how big of a deal would it have been for 19-year-old Walker Jones in a in a locker room going, Hey man, I'm playing a lot. I'm doing a lot. I'm not making as much as that cat over there who's getting paid a lot and he's not playing, but he got paid a lot because he was a big time recruit or he was a big time transfer how hard is it to manage that? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. It's a challenge and it's a new dynamic. And and again, I don't think we have the perfect answers. I think we just have to pay a lot of attention to it. We have to educate our players on confidentiality and your deal is your deal. And, you know, um, a little bit of that NFL mindset that you have to have about, you know, and I, it, it, it kills me to say this, and I almost cringe when I do, but we have to kind of treat it more a little bit like a business. Um, and, and, again, we're talking about college athletics. And so I'm like, golly, I can't believe we're having to have this conversation about a bunch of 19 and 20-year-olds. But really, that's kind of what we have to do. And I think that's where Lane has been really good in his staff. Lane is a professionally-minded head coach. You know, he was an NFL head coach. Obviously, he grew up in an NFL locker room with his father. Um, And so I think Lane has been really good about, um, you know, managing the players and managing the differences in there. Uh, Because the hard part, like you said, I can't pay a kid based off any sort of incentive on the field. Even though that's what's driving the value, I can't write that into a deal. I'd much rather say, hey, look, you know, here are these here are these incentives, and you catch a hundred balls and ten touchdowns and play eighty five percent of the snaps. You're gonna mess make this, and the other wide receiver who doesn't hit those, I can say, well, look, you want to get paid what he played. You got to play better. I'd love to be able to do that, but they won't let you. You know, we can't do that. So, right. you know, that, and that's the difference between the NFL and this model is you know it's performance, a meritocracy up there, and they have clear metrics of performance and all that. Um, Whereas we don't have that. So really it's about communication, confidentiality, and then trying to, to again, use that carrot a little bit to say, look, handle your business, play well, and you're going to get rewarded. And I think that's probably the way that we've focused on it the most. Like we spent a lot of time in the offseason 
with Austin Thomas and the football staff, just going through uh, the roster and getting information from him uh, on the players so we could then negotiate with the player in a really smart way and try to kind of manage the jigsaw puzzle. And, you know, this kid, this player is going to be really important to us. And, you know, and so we've been able to do that. And, and, and again, their value to the marketplace translates on how well they play. So the, the collective is the bridge that keeps the coaches out of the negotiation, the coaches out of being kingmaker and really puts it on us as the collective to go, Hey, here's how we're going to reward. And if we reward them in the right way, that I think they they see that incentive and they there's a, there's a level of trust. Quinshawn Jukins being a perfect example, you know, played unbelievable last year, increased his stature, his name value, and he was rewarded financially for it. Um, so you know, those are the things we try to point to, but but it is an inexact science for sure, and we're learning every day about you know how to manage that. <clears throat> We've talked indirectly about it. The NCAA coming out saying that their rules should supersede state law at this point every state's got something a little different mississippi's legislature has been good about helping in a lot of ways as it's uh it's written laws it feels like this thing either is the ncaa completely backing off or it ends up in court because my question to you is there are obviously certain ncaa policies that do supersede federal law you know, a player is just a person can go out and gamble all they want to and you can't do that in the ncaa that's a rule that that does have effect with NCAA policy. I guess my question is, what is the argument for this being different? And is there any route here that this does not end up in court eventually? Yeah, Chase, that's a, that's a tough one, man. I, you know, I don't, um, I don't know the pathway again, the NCAA's really only pathway is through the court system or federal intervention. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just where we are. Um, and so I, I don't know if there's another pathway other than, again, the um, the conferences coming together and and figuring out a way to incentivize schools to sign up to be regulated. Um, and, you know, that's really why I think, you know, again, going back to the, the power five commissioners and the group of five. You know, I think a lot of the onus is now falling on them, knowing that the NCAA's pathways are so limited right now. Um, and and again, there's to your question, there's a lot of contradictory guidance um, and preemptions. Um, <clears throat> now, a lot of it is too. A lot of the states have written in their NIL statutes, just like Mississippi, prohibitions against gambling, alcohol, you know, firearms, all those kind of types of things, <clears throat> and so. That's where, you know, again, they're, they, they've, they've limited the athlete's ability to, you know, get into some of those, you know, quasi-controversial areas. And so uh, I think that's where, uh, like, I'll be interesting in my opinion, and we would agree with this, there needs to be uniformity from a state statute standpoint, not just in uh, the fundraising piece, which is getting all the attention, what Texas A&M is doing, what Missouri, what Arkansas has done, that's getting all the attention. And that's, that is really important. Again, that goes back to Neil's question about donor fatigue, but also the other preemptions it puts on. And, you know, then you, it, it becomes real apparent fast what California says, as opposed to what Tennessee does, Mississippi does, Texas, Florida. Um, and so you've got fundraising inequities, you've got prohibition, uh, in certain states that don't exist in other states. 
And again, that goes back to your your question about what's the pathway forward outside the courts. I'm not sure what there is outside of the conferences trying to figure this out. The Saudis could settle this for you. There's a story in the athletic. Um, pretty good story. Uh, David Upman did a really good job. Talked talked to ADs, some collective people anonymously. Um, yeah, that would know, be, be an interesting business partner for sure. My favorite uh, quote in this, Walker, and for anybody who hasn't, hasn't read it, it's whether a basically the Saudis could get involved and take over college football with NILs and different things. And at one AD's quote, I'd say close to 50% of schools and athletic department leaders would navigate their way to yes, as in whether they would do it. That was my favorite quote in the entire article was they would well, they would find some justification <laughs> to go, you know what? Okay. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't really know what happened on 9-11, but man, you know, <laughs> I want to win 12 games next year. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't, I mean, yeah, that is an interesting quote. And look, there's probably some truth to that. I mean, look, we're seeing that same thing manifest itself in these state statutes. Like we're seeing that happen where, you know, they're kind of saying, look, there's a loophole here for us to write some statutes to give the protection against NCA and creates a clear advantage for us to win. And they know it's probably not a – it's almost like a race to the bottom a little bit. They know it's probably not a good long-term play. But if it creates us advantages from a competition standpoint, we're seeing that happen now. And, you know, you, you can't tell me that a lot of these coaches – and you cannot tell me Ross Bjork thinks what their state did is a good is a good idea. Like, there's no way he really believes that. Not to but, pick on Ross, but to make your point here, it's a great point that you're making. Ross is a great example because when Ross was at Ole Miss, and this is not a criticism of Ross in any shape, form, or fashion. It's just a statement of fact. Ross was a, a, a stickler for, hey, let's do this the NCAA way. That we, yeah. we're, a, we're, a, we're a member institution. These are the rules. We willingly agree to the rules. Let's follow the rules. Let's do it the right way. And now he's at Texas A&M and their legislature, and, and because of their their – resources they they can you know yeah. that they, they can create a, a, an advantage for themselves and he's the ad at texas a&m that's where his bread is buttered and he goes now he goes hey, screw the ncaa i mean these are the state rules man they're meaningless I, I i know a lot of people criticize him for it and i'm like i get it but at the same time i understand his stance as well oh yeah look I, again his job is to create opportunities for his student athletes to be competitive and um you know, and have the resources uh, to develop and mature and grow at the highest level. And, and you know, that – and so, again, that's what I'm saying. I mean, personally, off the record, if you talk to Ross, I would bet he'd be like, yeah, you know. But, you know, his – to your point, Neil, like that's the world we're in right now. And yeah. to Chase's point about the Saudis and 50% of the A's trying to find a way to, to get to a yes, I mean, that's just the nature of, of competition. So – um you know, and I think that's what drives Greg Sankey crazy and these kind of these commissioners is look, I've got currently 14 member schools and four of them have a decided advantage now over the other 10. And and there's not really much I can do about it right now. Um, and so that's where, you know, we've been, you know, trying to talk about this this possible rev share. And, and there's some other small tweaks that we, we've got it actually a really good group of collectives that's come together to form a little bit of a trade association. And it's um, it's eight to ten collectives from across all the Power Five conferences. We're one of them, um, and we're we're going to propose some some real basic uh, areas of of, of um, commonality that we have between the NCAA and the universities and the athletes. You know, an agent registry. You know, really, you know, in every pro sport, agents have to register and they have to go through and 
go through some bells and whistles, and that should be no different than this. Um, you know, some um, some tweaks to the to the portal here or there. Um, you know, which helps you know uh, sustainability and those types of things. So, you know, we're trying to elevate the conversation. You know, the cool thing about being in the collective is we're the point of intersection for everything. So we got the university, the NCAA, the players, the donors, uh, the marketplace, the brands. Uh, so we're right in the middle of the thick of it. And, and our kind of you know thought is, look, far be it for me to tell everybody how to run this or what we should or shouldn't do. But I want to give everybody the real information so we can get the really smart peoples to make the right decisions. So, you know, um, the problem the NCAA's got into, they take a lot of anecdotal information and then they turn it into fact. And and I think that's what's gotten the NCAA in trouble. So get with the collectives. We're in the trenches every day. We we can tell you exactly what's happening and where some of the loopholes are and where some of the problems exist and share that information that's real time and tangible. And then you guys can use it to formulate what we need to do going forward. And I think that's what we're trying to do on the collective side. Just curious, what percentage of the funds that come in for you guys is earmarked to a specific sport versus general fund? And how do you sort of figure out percentages and the way that that dynamic works inside the ecosystem of the major sports? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we have we have accounts for every sport on campus. We have a general account as well. So we'll have donors who will, you know, the the, the neat thing about NIL is you can say, hey, I want this money going to this player or mm-hmm. to this sport. I mean, you can actually earmark it uh, for that. And so, you know, when that happens, uh, we'll, we'll put those funds in that particular account, earmark it for that player or that team. Um, and then – uh, then the other big piece of it is just the general donations that we'll have that we can then filter out to those sports as needed. But really, you know, if you look at it on a percentage basis, it's probably no different than a lot of businesses and from a budgeting standpoint where um, you really try to, as a percentage of revenue, try to allocate these money. It, the, you know, the, the hard part was we didn't have history to go back and say, oh, in 20. 19, we spent this and 2020, we spent that, you know, so we didn't have a lot of history, but now going into technically two to year three, um, we do have a little bit of history now and we have seen the percentage of growth that goes. And obviously, you know, you when you look at the, the pool, you know, football is, is probably garnering, you know, 60 to 65% of that money. Then you've got your men's and women's basketballs right there behind football and then baseball behind that. And then you've got all the other sports, um in one pool together um the cool thing is we've now contracted with over 170 athletes uh when we started this we had 30 so we've we've grown our athlete roster in a big way and we have an athlete a minimum of one athlete from every single sport on campus so we've been able to to add a pretty diverse athlete population um and and spread that money out but but that's really kind of how we look at it is football is your majority of the volume and the resources. And then you just staircase it down, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, um, and um, uh, and then all the other sports that you take care of. And, um, you know, and that that's really um, – I've seen our fans gravitate more towards the sports-specific giving recently. Like more and more of our donors are going, hey, I really want to help Chris Beard out. Hey, I really like what Coach Yo's doing. Hey, I want to help Mike Bianco rebuild this thing. I want to help Lane get to Atlanta. You know, so um, I've probably seen a trend line over the last six weeks, probably of 
our donations going more towards those specific sports than just the general fund. Does that let me concerns not the right word here, but as this thing ebbs and flows, is that a thought process of and I don't want to do a sport thing to make somebody whatever, but sport A has a heck of a season and really jumps up and sports B struggles. And like you said, it's a 12 month forward, but at the same time, those earmarks get kind of crazy. You can end up yeah. suffering in, in the sport that goes down because everybody's really damn excited about this other sport that's moving up. Yeah, no doubt. And look, I've had to have conversations with some of our donors and say, look, I love the fact that you want to help this sport out, but I really need help over here. Uh, I need you to maybe split that up and let me use some of that over here, you know, and, and, and again, for the most parts, our fans are like, Hey, I trust you Walker. Y'all do whatever you need to do. And that, that's really, you know, you'll get the phone calls or we'll be sitting in a room and, you know, and they'll say, look, we, we, you know, we want to give to baseball, but we also know that basketball may need a little help. And we really love Chris Beard and coach Yo, and, you know, we're willing to give a percentage over there too. And, and really kind of trust us, you know, most of the time I'll get the, hey, where do you need it? Who needs it the most right now? Like, and 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 again, as a donor, I think that's neat. They, a lot of our donors are like, hey, I want to make a big impact. Who needs, who needs the most right now or who needs the biggest help? And I want to help them, you know? And so, yeah, look, we, we've had to be careful with that, you know, where we've gotten way over, you know, subscribed in one sport and we got another sport that's struggling a little bit and, um, and we, we've had to talk to our people and go back to them sometimes and say, hey, I know you earmarked all that money over here. Do you mind if I pull some to plug some gaps in these other areas? And and nine times out of ten, they're like, absolutely. You surprised me no, a little not. bit with that. Is baseball, women's basketball pretty similar on funds used? No, baseball's bigger. Okay. Baseball's, baseball's larger. And now, now they were this past – the previous year – what Coach Yo had um, and what Mike had was was pretty similar. Um, okay. Now, b- baseball, obviously, again, trying to rebuild the roster and and those types of things. Uh, theirs has elevated um, and um, and has has certainly gone up. Um, so, but but you know, Coach Coach Yo has been great to work with as well. She's done a great job. You know, she she was able to be very active this year. Um, and, and really was, was very helpful, uh, in bringing in some top-notch players that we were able to work with, um, and, uh, and create, you know, it's interesting. Our female athletes are our most valuable marketers in the community. Like we have more requests for our female women's basketball players, track athletes, soccer players to come, you know, do this store opening, show up at this promotion, uh, tweet this out, post this out, um, than our, than our men athletes, really. I mean, obviously you've got, you know, your Jackson darts and Quinshine and those guys who are big names, but, um, our, and when you talk about real marketplace value and activation in the marketplace, um, Coach Yo's roster is very valuable. We get a ton of requests and we've had a ton of corporate sponsors sign up just to have, to be able to utilize, uh, that women's basketball roster uh, for marketing purposes, which has been really neat to see. No, we're running out of time with you. I was curious. I saw we're on three listed. You guys as one of the ten most ambitious. I think was the word they used. Um, NIL collectives. You were there with some pretty select company. Um, what did that mean to you? What? How did you sort of interpret that? Yeah, look, I think that was neat to see. I mean, look, these rating, these rankings. You know, you know, everybody's got a different metric they go through. I like the fact about ambitious um, just because I think that's what we have to do. And it's kind of was my whole mantra when we 
relaunch this thing. It's like, we're, we got to be really creative. We got to think outside the box. You know, we got to punch way above our weight, make $1 spin like three, all those things. And the only way to really do that is to be, uh, you know, creative, progressive, ambitious, whatever word you want to use there. Um, and, and I think that's what we've tried to do, you know, with some of the deals that we've done with the way we've managed our players, managed our money. Um, and I think that, you know, that caught people's attention. Um, and, you know, I think it was, you know, it was good to see us in, in the, in that group with the likes of, you know, the, you know, a lot of really big traditional names. And I think there were only four SEC schools in there. We were one of them. So, um, I think that was neat to, to see that and look, it's a tribute to a couple of things. Our staff has worked really hard and, and done a really good job internally. So I'm really proud of our staff. Now that does this stuff daily. I'm also really proud of our fans and our donors because, again, we're a donor-funded organization, and our fans gave us the ability to go out and sign up for those partnerships. Um, so I think all Ole Miss fans hopefully take some pride in that. Um, our staff obviously does, but I hope our, our school and our fans do as well. And, again, my whole thing about that is I love the, the ambitious word in that because I think that is – um, kind of what we've tried to be and who we've tried to be. And, um, and again, it's, uh, it's proof that we're, you know, we're doing things in the right way. We still have a lot of work to do uh, to stay there. You know, it's one thing to get there. Now you got to stay there. So, um, but, you know, it, it, it was good validation to know that people are taking notice. And, and I look, I hope it turns into a recruiting tool for our, our coaches, you know, like, Hey, uh, if you come here, you know, coaches' roles in recruiting is, is you know, pretty defined about how far they can go in the NIL thing. But what they can do is talk about the success of the collective at their school. And I think hopefully our coaches can point to that and say, look, if you do choose to come here and you are looking for NIL opportunities, our collective has proven that they know how to, you know, uh, elevate and maximize NL opportunities. And so I hope it translates to some recruiting advantages in the sense of we have a good reputation. We do what we say we're going to do. We're easy to work with. We try to maximize, protect the student athlete. And that's probably the biggest value to it, Neil. Presently, do you feel like you're nationally competitive in those four sports from a sheer number standpoint? I do. Yeah. I do. Uh, you know, again, <clears throat> having access to some of these other collectives um, and, and we've shared, we share information, you know, obviously not all the information, but we share information and I hear a lot of commentary. And, and again, I think number one, anecdotally, people are like, Oh yeah, almost, you know, almost is pretty, they're pretty good at what they're doing, you know, and I'm hearing that from USC, Ohio state, the guy from Michigan who's running the Michigan collective called me to, get my opinion on some stuff. And that tells me that he's recognized that we're doing things the right way. So you get that kind of feedback. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that um, here in the other thing to hear from the players, some of the players that have come in here and transferred in here, uh, their agents or their parents are like, wow, we've never heard all this, or we never thought y'all had that many resources or, you know, um, cause again, my whole thing was, look, we're going to compensate, your son or daughter at a very competitive level, but we're also going to put a lot of resources to help them develop and grow uh, and maximize what they're doing off the field. And, um, and so I, I, you hear that information back from a lot of the players too. Like, you know, we've had some players come from some other uh, good sized schools that have told us, you know, 
wow, this is this was definitely a competitive advantage. So yeah, I think we are. But again, the work continues, and you're only as good as you know your next season, and and um, you know hopefully we'll have a good season this year, and that'll continue to you know catapult us along. You and I texted about this a couple weeks ago, real, just real quick. It's going to be a long answer, but uh, as far as your connection to, you mentioned, you know, the foundation, the athletic department, all those different things, with the way the organization is set up, and then just what you guys are comfortable with from a policy standpoint. What is sort of the relationship and how you guys can commingle and work together with departmental and foundation resources? Well, look, I think that was one of the keys, and, and I get at this a lot when I do media interviews. Um, uh, from people and they're like, well, what was the real secret to success? And usually the answer one A or one B is Glenn Boyce, Keith Carter, Ole Miss athletic department, the university supporting what we were trying to get done. I mean, cause it, it's no secret. If you have an arm's length relationship with your university and your athletic department, you're only going to be so good. And, you know, you're going at, you're talking to the same donor base. Um, your messaging needs to, be, to needs to sync up. Going back to your question earlier about, you know, what's the message to the younger group? The message is we are aligned 100% with our coaches and our administration. And I think that has been a huge um, competitive advantage for us and will continue to be. And Keith has been phenomenal. Matt McLaughlin and the Ole Miss Foundation has been great. Um, and the Chancellor has been great. Chancellor is, hey, Walker, whatever you guys need, you know, just tell us. So I think – They've gotten behind us, and I think that's translated to our donors getting behind us and, you know, getting that authenticate, that verification and that, you know, hey, this, this is the group you need to give to to help us be competitive. And so um, it's been great. And um, and we continue. I mean, there's not a week that goes by we're not having multiple conversations with them. As we close, uh, about to go into the 4th of July holiday, which means the football season and the start of another academic and athletic years right around the corner. What is your kind of message to fans at this point uh yeah thanks for for asking that i think really it's um hey a little bit of a pat on the back thank you and look what we've done again to your question about being ranked in that in that poll i think is great but i think we have to keep our foot on the gas i think we're showing people that we can be really efficient we can be really impactful again we can punch way above our weight um, on the national landscape, and we need the people to continue to sign up. If you're already a current member, consider upgrading your membership. We're going to have some really cool donor events coming up here in August and September, leading into the season. Uh, that is going to be, you know, first of its kind um, for our members. And so, we really want as many people to be there as possible and to be able to share in that. We're going to have some really cool interactions with our players coming up over the next couple of weeks. So. Really, a call to action would be thank you, but we got to keep going. And it, look, it's it's making a difference. I can tell you that the the rosters that we are building uh, and that are we are maintaining are going to be competitive. And um, and look, everything helps. Every little bit helps. Um, and so um, we're going to be coming out with some messaging again that I want everybody to pay attention to from a fundraising standpoint. And uh, we'll be very sensitive to. Uh, the nature of donor fatigue and and all the other um, uh, requests our people get, but uh, we need we need everybody to continue to pull their weight like they've done. And you know, thank you for getting us this point. But you know, we're still got still got a ways to go, and the work continues. Where can uh, people find more information, Walker? 
So on the website, you know, continue to go to thegrovecollective.com uh, on the website, and there's a jo- join donate landing page there that gives, you know, uh, the eight different giving levels plus the one-time contributions. If you want to make a one-time contribution, there's also a corporate page there. Um, we're going to be doing a, a big uh, initiative in Oxford, uh, giving day. Uh, for the collective in Oxford with a lot of local businesses where they can, um, we're going to pick a day where they can uh, donate a percentage of their revenue. There's also going to be some roundup opportunities at some uh, places where you can round up for the collective at your, when you're closing out your, um, your transaction. Uh, So we're really going to try to get the Oxford city, you know, community and business community involved. Uh, And so on the website, there's a corporate sponsorship uh, page in there as well. So continue to go there. And if you get hung up on anything, hit us. Uh, we're online, obviously. We're on social media. Uh, reach out to us. Uh, shoot us an email. And uh, and also be looking for these donor events uh, coming up as well. Walker, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Happy uh, 4th of July to you and your family. Safe, safe travels and all that. Same to you. Safe travels. Happy 4th, fellas. Appreciate all you guys do and appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, spread the word. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 